Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is episode 27 of The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. I got special guests with me. I'm really excited for this one, and I'm really excited for everybody listening. Definitely going to be something to take away from this. We got Wilt Wallace, Vice President for Urban and Rhythm Promotions at Warner Brothers Record. How you doing, Wilt? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Appreciate you asking. I'm excited to have you on here. I've been really looking forward. I know I kind of told some people about this coming up, so it's a lot of people excited to hear this one. So let's go ahead and dive right into it. Today, we're going to talk about the state of the label, and we're also going to talk about R&B music. And then, of course, we always got a trending topic that we're going to discuss. We'll reveal that later. And then after that, got our interview with Will, just to uh, learn a little bit more about what he's doing for Warner Bros, about his career. You know, you guys get a little bit of insight into him. To kick it off, um, you know, the state of the label. So like I was mentioning, you know, before, you know, the recording, just how the label is doing now in, you know, this current state with uh, digital streaming, you know, continuing to be on the rise. And, you know, having been in the industry myself, I find myself constantly, you know, having conversations with people, whether it be, you know, other promoters or artists or agents. And of course, I'm always seeing uh, a lot of chatter going on with, between other people about, you know, the state of the label versus streaming platforms. So I guess from, from what, from your position, what, what are you seeing going on like, that's happening out here with the label? Well, I feel like it's a really good time for the labels. You're seeing the labels really perform well financially, and uh, you're seeing mm -hmm. growth. You know, there was a time period kind of early in my career. I first started my first position at Warner Brothers in 2006, and it was during the what I call the download era, you know, where you had the, the file sharing and the Napsters and the line wires and everything mm -hmm. like that. And then even when it came to a sales and consumption side, uh, there wasn't the pirated side, but the actual legitimate sales, a lot of that was single driven through iTunes, you know? So the profit margins weren't great. There wasn't, you know, a lot of growth. It was actually a lot of recession. It was a lot of uh, kind of moving in the other direction coming off of the mm -hmm. CD era, which was huge profit making era for record companies because the profit right. margins on CDs were huge and, you know, you had albums going 10 times platinum and, and, mm -hmm. you know, when you have a profit margin of a product that you make for like a dollar to five bucks at the maximum and you're selling it for 20, you know, and you're selling 10 million of them, I mean, you can do the math yourself. So, you know, I don't, you know, of course the record labels aren't back to that era and I don't know that we ever see that type of um, success again so far as, you know, mm -hmm. the profit margins of that era. But compared to the era where I started with uh, the file sharing and the downloading and when, when pirating was rampant, um, you've seen the labels bounce back and have a resurgence of sorts. So it's really good time. So you, you, made, me, you made me think of some things because, you know, you were talking about uh, with, you know, things like CDs and whatnot. And, and one of the things I was thinking about earlier, actually, I always have conversations with people about singles versus album. And I know, I think it was either... The Hollywood Reporter or Rolling Stone put out an article earlier in the year talking about sales, you know, how album sales have seen, I guess they kind of declined, but sales for uh, singles went up and that people, I guess, spending more time listening to singles versus, you know, going through an entire 
album. So I guess what's what's your take? What's your take on that as far as singles and albums? I think that uh, there's a couple factors. One being streaming era that we're in const- currently, where a lot of people are going to playlists, which you know might be a collection of songs from many different albums. So you're not consuming the album as one product is you know one complete body of work. You may you know just have a playlist that you follow that has uh, various songs from different albums. Um, the other thing that I see is uh, people's attention spans and the way that they consume entertainment has changed. Every, a lot of people consume the majority of their entertainment on their phone. And, you know, you might not sit in your phone for 60 minutes straight to listen to a full album, a full body of work. You might just, okay, I'm going to catch a couple songs, then on to the next thing in between, you know, doing social media apps or, you know, making phone calls, sending text messages, other things you're doing with that same device. You know, when it used to be at one time, you would have, like I said, the CD would be the album and that kind of, you put that in your CD player, you know, which most people don't have anymore. And you right. would be able to sit in one setting and consume the album. But um, just culturally, yeah. people, uh, you know, I mean, it's I, me and my friends joke about it and kind of call it like the fast food or microwave generation of, mm-hmm. you know, things are just consumed a lot faster. And it's more about time efficiency yeah. over quality mm-hmm. and things like that, you know, but there's still yeah. a place for albums and they're, you know, you know, niche audiences that love the album. You know, I'm a person yeah. that grew up listening to albums. So I still mm-hmm. would love to dissect the whole body of work as a whole, listen to the sequencing, catch the story, because mm-hmm. I almost hear music as, as the way people see it as a, as a movie, like it, it's visual to me, you know? So right. I like to consume it as a full product. And a lot of artists that I work with or, or speak with say that they like to deliver it that way, but it's just the, mm-hmm. the habits of the consumer have changed and the way the music is right. consumed typically is not the same and a lot of the younger generation you know I'm I'm 38 myself so a lot of people that are you know probably under 25 and didn't grow up yeah. in the CD era or the cassette tape era or different things yeah. like that you know <laughs> maybe aren't used to consuming music like that they're just consuming right. used to you know single or whatever song or you know a lot of kids go mm-hmm. on YouTube and pull up whatever their favorite song is and, and consume it that way mm-hmm. there's a lot of different factors but I think that just the habits of the the consumers um the way they digest music and also the attention span of, of people in culture has kind of been a big change in it right 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 i i definitely agree you know I, i'm thinking about it i'm I'm 26 years old and you know i probably i probably have a handful of cds i got growing up and of course using apple music now and i'm downloading just about everything but one of the things i'll tell you though is that i've learned to because with the way things are now um, I've learned to appreciate a good album more. Yeah. Pretty much those people who put out a good album, those are typically my favorite artists. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I yeah. Because yeah. that's like fine dining. But, you know, but also right. if time is currency, you know, who has yeah. the time to invest in fine dining every night? You know what I mean? So right. sometimes, exactly. but, you, you know, and I don't mean to cut you off, but one thing that we've also oh, seen a resurgence in is vinyl sales. You know, but again, it's like you're not yeah. going to go buy a twenty, twenty five dollar piece of vinyl unless it's somebody that you really appreciate. And exactly. you're going to spend the time, you know, it's it's a fine piece of art. It's almost like exactly. uh, that type of thing. So, yeah, I, there's still a place for a great album. And usually right. the best artists, the ones who are timeless and, and past generationally are the right. ones who can create a, a cohesive body of work. Music is not always about the, the full appreciation of full body work sometimes you just need a three-minute song to put you in a certain mood or just 
something up tempo to keep you going in the gym or you know what I'm saying just depending on which you're you know what right. type of place you're in at that time so. right and, and before I get to the trending topic it's funny you said um microwave music because one of the earlier episodes is actually called microwave music I mm -hmm. have my buddy on who's a who's a uh, who's a rapper and okay. you know he was talking about how a lot of artists are putting out microwave music so uh <laughs> I thought you you made that come to mind when yeah. you said that, because that's definitely um, a thing now. Let's go ahead and get into the trending topic. Uh, this is brought to you by the Wall Street Journal. Everybody knows where to find them. Uh, the article is, music is booming, but Spotify isn't the winner. And just some of the highlights, globally, the music industry revenue rose 9.7% last year, which was the best in at least 20 years. Uh, this was according to data released. Tuesday by International Federation of uh, Phonographic Industry and saying that streaming drove the tempo with growth of 34%. So Spotify, I guess, didn't get most of that pie. Again, because we, you know, we were, we were just talking about the state of the label and, you know, we see the music industry is booming. I guess, did, did, did the labels benefit off of that as well? Yeah, yeah. The labels definitely have benefited from the revenue that comes from streaming. And that growth, uh, that industry growth, that has definitely been something that has helped the label significantly. I think one of the challenges that Spotify has is that they're a standalone music streaming service. Unlike mm -hmm. Apple, you know, they sell phones, they sell laptops. That you know, their music streaming right. service is a small piece of their business. So if right, they can right. use their streaming service to advertise their other products and you know you know right. if they have exclusive rights to the new Drake album or whatever and that makes more mm -hmm. people come and buy iPhones they profit off the iPhones they're not really worried about losing money on you know what it costs to have the rights to the music right. versus what they make off a of subscription Spotify right. that's all they got is what they make off a of subscription that's where yeah. you can see, you know, one of the challenges they have that some of their competitors may not have. L label wise, it has been very uh, beneficial to us, you know, the streaming, because, you know, what I look at it like this, and this is just my personal opinion, is I look at streaming as long money. An album traditionally in the CD era, it's all about those first week sales, right? And you, you sell the album, right. but once I've sold it to you, you bought it. You can go listen to it 100 million times for the next 20 years. I only get that right. first 15 to $20 you paid me when it came out. But streaming, I might only get a fraction of a cent each time you listen to my song. But as you right. listen to it over time, it's almost like you're renting the music. You're paying for the subscription every month, which is how Spotify makes their music. Spotify is paying mm -hmm. the label for the rights to the music. So each time mm -hmm. the song plays, Spotify, mm -hmm. Apple, whoever has to pay the label, that builds up revenue. You know, so again, so your catalog can actually live a lot longer and continue to earn a lot longer when it used to be, okay, once the CD's out of cycle, unless something, you know, in culture happens to make people revisit the album, sales on it are pretty much, you know, dormant at that point. Um, right. But now with streaming, it just continues and continues and continues. And it's the same thing in television right. when you have things like Netflix and other, you know, subscription-based streaming uh, platform right it's so so again it's like the long money like you know the the product can continue mm -hmm. to earn it's it's, it's 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 smaller you know uh profit margin but over a longer time it can build up and be you know very beneficial yeah. i agree i agree you, you made me think of something when you were talking about about spotify and just how i guess like they they're like standalone because you, you you brought up a really good example when you brought up how apple you know 
that's just a fraction of their revenue, the, the streaming services. Yep. And their bread and butter is their devices, you know, their laptops right. and their iPhones and all the other good stuff. What you made me think about, though, because one of the things I've, I've, I've been seeing lately is pretty much Spotify and Hulu teaming up together. And it was once a thing of where you, you had Spotify, you got like a discount or like free access to Hulu. And now it's a thing of, okay, if you, I think if you have Hulu, you'll get Spotify for free or vice versa is one of the two. And they're, I guess, leveraging each other to, because mm-hmm. I mean, they're both streaming services yep. and they, both of them are trying to, you know, build up their subscriber base. Yep. And especially when you, you, and it's just, I know my brain was going all last week, you know, Disney just bought out 20th Century Fox. Yeah. One of the things that made me think about, okay. Right now, they're laying off employees. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'm also thinking about is, okay, what's going to happen with some of the other assets? You know, one of the things that came to the forefront was Hulu. Are they going to rebrand it? Are they going to sell it off? Or, you know, are they? Right. And so that makes me think about, you know, because, again, if, if something happens to Hulu, that's going to have some kind of effect on Spotify. Right, right, it, right. It's like right. You know, I'm thinking, like, yeah. okay, would yeah. Spotify be able to buy Hulu? Like, what's? So I, I feel like in the in the coming years, there's something's going to happen that's going to push Spotify in a certain direction, whether, right. you know, acquisition or they because they, obviously you see they're making moves for certain reasons. You know, they, they got to they got to find additional streams of income. And, you know, that's why, you know, this whole thing is going on with Hulu. And it, yet again, it doesn't surprise me that they're, you know, Spotify isn't the winner. At the same time, though, I'm, I'm noticing that they're buying up all of these podcasting companies or, or platforms, companies, you know, that, mm-hmm. that have been big in the podcasting industry because, you know, there's been some growth there. But at the same time, you know, my question to that is, okay, even though I have a podcast, clearly, and, you know, I'm glad that there's growth in, in this part of the business, but is that alone, you know, buying up these podcasting companies, is that alone going to be enough to sustain them? So yeah. I think that raises a lot of questions as to uh, what Spotify's future yeah. is going to hold for them. And it, it's tricky because years. I agree, and it, it's it's really tricky because it's all new, you know, and, and you're, yeah. you're counting on consumer behavior to continue right. to change in the direction of your favor, you know? So right. you're, you're counting on people to continue to want to pay for music subscriptions every month and, you know, or right. maybe have the centralized subscription base where it's like, okay, you know, I pay this one thing and I get Spotify, Hulu and whatever else, you know what I'm saying? Plus the right. access to these exclusive podcasts that I can't get anywhere else or whatever, you know? So it's, it's a, it's right. an interesting time for, for music and entertainment and, and technology, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes being on the cutting edge, like the way Apple was with the iTunes store can be, um, can be magical, you know, because you, when you think about it, all the labels and every, all the music producers and distributors went through Apple and that became like almost the centralized store for digital music sales. You know, you can't think of too many other places where you were buying MP3s from, you know, it's mostly through Apple instead of these labels having their own stores or whatever and going direct to consumer. So when it comes to developing consumer profiles and being able to advertise to them and knowing what their preferences are and their likes are, Apple contained, you know, had access to all that information 
and uh, the labels and the distributors had to go through them. So, you know, being on the cutting edge of technology can be amazing, but also risky to be like a Spotify. And, you know, globally, a lot of other countries move towards streaming consumption habits faster than the United States. So, you know, we're still catching up. We're, you know, still seeing the subscribers in the United States going up each year, but where does that plateau? And when it does, is it enough? And, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, it's an interesting time right. to see how these, these habits are going to go. And like I said, physical sales obviously have been declining, declining, declining for years to the point where Best Buy phased out CDs. I want to say a, another big retailer did. I can't remember which one it was. And, you know, I think, I think Walmart still has them and maybe, um, maybe Target, but it's very the small portion of their business when it used to be a huge portion of their business. And it's like, see, is, is these trends and, and these consumption habits continue to change? What is that future going to look like for Spotify and others? So it's, it's interesting times, man. Huh. You, you, really? Yeah, you, you definitely bring up some valid points. You know, I, you, you said Best Buy phased out CDs. I was like, wait a minute. They did. <laughs> yeah, I, I think last, I, I want to say last yeah. summer, I want to say 2018, like June or July, they made an announcement like, because remember like back, I, I mean, I know you're younger than me, you're, you're, you're in your mid twenties, but still about 10 years ago, you were old enough to remember yeah. going into a Best Buy and you saw racks and racks of CDs. And right, then right. in the last like two years, it all dwindled down to where it went from all these racks of all these artists and genres to like just one rack. And that had all right. the CDs they carried, which wasn't much right. last summer that they just phased it out altogether. But you mm. still see like uh, with Walmart, especially in like middle America where maybe people aren't as adapted to mm -hmm. the streaming culture and maybe people, you know, don't have the unlimited data plans and things like that. You still see people buying CDs. And I think CDs are still right. big in the, the country music genre. You know, I think CDs mm -hmm. are still big. And, and like I said, to see a surge after all these years of physical uh, sales decline, to see a surge in vinyl over the last couple of years, because it's like kind of like the trendy, cool thing, you know, now. So yeah. It's um true. it's just interesting, man, Very to see true. how this stuff goes. Like I've even seen some artists uh release special edition tape cassette tapes and they sell for like twenty, thirty dollars for a cassette tape. You know, I remember used to buy cassette mm -hmm. tapes for five dollars. But my question is like, where do you buy where do you play a cassette tape these days? You know, but I, I think it's more just about the memorabilia and actually having it as a keepsake more so than actually, you know, using it to listen to the music. Right, because I'll be honest. Even though I listen to all of my music digital, like there, there's this one album I finally downloaded yesterday. I have a, I, I owned the CD for about five years now. I've never really listened to the CD, but I listen to it digitally. But at the same time, it's like I want all the physical copies just for purposes of having the memorabilia. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, um, <laughs> you know, me like I'm a kid. I'm a kid that in the '90s. I was ordering Source Magazine, Double XL. I, mm -hmm. you know, used to cut the pictures out of the rappers and put them on my walls. I used to have, you oh. know, boxes <laughs> and boxes of CDs and all yeah. that. You know, I was that kid, right? And it was a moment, man, when me and my wife were moving from one place to another, and I knew we weren't going to have as much storage. And I had to look at my boxes of CDs, and I'm like, dang, you know, you you got to go. Like, so I had to sit there for like two, three nights and import every CD into my iTunes so I could still have my file, oh, you know, so I could still have my music. Because <laughs> this is before right. I had a, you know, this is, hey, this is years ago. So this is before I had a Spotify. Now I have Spotify, Apple, yeah. and Tidal. But this is before right. I had any of those. I don't even know if those services were available then. 
So I wasn't going to go to the iTunes store and rebuy all these albums. So I'm sitting there physically importing each CD into my iTunes. So I have an iTunes that is just full of old music and all kinds of stuff. You know, even wow. like some like promo CDs that I got from working from yeah. the label that were like exclusive remixes that maybe yeah. weren't sold in the store and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I have a lot of DJ friends who... <laughs> who keep their vinyl for that reason. Like I know guys that, yeah. you know, had, had to buy, build extra space in their house just to store their vinyl because, you know, they have the exclusive, wow. you know, bad boy remix of a Puffy and Biggie song that never came out. It right. was only white labeled on the vinyl for the DJ, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, yeah. So it's like, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so my point is I can relate to you on the whole memorabilia factor, even if you're not really using yeah. it yeah. to listen to the music, still just having right. it as a keepsake, but. Yeah, I, I gave right. up all mine, and it was a tough moment. Like, I, I shed a little tear, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I got, got yeah. to get rid of my song. I sent them to one of my homeboys thinking he was going to keep them, like, because he had a bigger house, and then find, come to find yeah. out he moved and ended up throwing away my CDs anyway. So, oh. yeah, it's all gone. That's tough. <laughs> yeah, it's tough, man. It happens. Charge to the game, man. You got to just keep right. moving, man. Just got to keep moving. Word, word. That's true. That's yeah. true. So... That was our trending topic again, brought to you by the Wall Street Journal. Music is booming, but Spotify isn't the winner. Go check it out. It's a great read. A lot of insightful stuff, uh, especially for my industry heads out there. So we're going to get into the next topic, R&B music. So I actually uh, work with an R&B artist or two. And, you know, one of the things as far as a booking show, mm -hmm. one of the things I've noticed is overall, not just concerts, but even in sales, it seems that it's tougher for R&B artists these days. And now I'm, I'm coming from the, from the approach that, again, kind of what we talked about earlier, this whole quantity over quality. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when I think about R&B music, most times it's, it's quality music. Right. And, you know, it, it takes time for them to put something out. And, you know, they're not, they, they typically don't conform to the market. Like they right. uh, like country music, R&B music remains true to its form, yeah. in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So when I look at it, like I, I, I appreciate R&B, but at the same time, I'm like, man, it's got to be tough out here for R&B right now. And it's like if you're not, in, in my opinion, it's like if you're not already, you know, if you're not, you know, Tyrese, Usher, maybe Joe and, or, you know, like a Brian McKnight, you, you're going to have a bit of a time getting your career off the ground compared to uh, maybe a rapper or a pop star. What's your, what's your take on it? Um, I agree with you. It is, it is a tougher climate for R&B than maybe rap or, or, or pop music. Um, one of the things with rap and pop music is typically they stream better than R&B. Typically the younger audience is more in tune with those type of, of records, but also a lot of, a lot of that stuff with, I guess, how do I say this? the burden of quality is not as high. So, it, you know, it's like you can, you can make a catchy hip hop song or a catchy, you know, pop song and it can be a hit. But with R&B, you know, it's not very common for you to just make a catchy little jingle and for people to just ride the wave. Like people, when they want to listen to R&B, they want to kind of hear the feel, the soul, the passion. You know, it's a little deeper right. burden of quality that is there i agree so it's held to almost a higher standard so it's maybe not as easy to break through you know because now not only do you have to be talented and have the vocals and have the right music and the right musicians but 
now you also got to make a hit. You got to make something that sticks with people right. that people actually want to continue to sing and memorize the lyrics and, you know, and touches them. So it's a, it's a little, you know, it's a little tougher, but, you know, also you've seen these hybrids of R&B, you know, like some of the stuff that Chris Brown has done and some of the stuff, you know, with, with Janae Aiko and some of these other artists that, yeah, it's like, it's R&B, but it's not R&B. And, you know, some of it has right. hip hop, some of it has pop, some of it, it's almost like a right. hybrid genre yeah. that has kind of come out that has, has been successful, but again, it's not yeah. as many artists as maybe you have rappers and pop stars, but also the ones that break through in R&B typically, to, in my opinion, and again, I don't have stats to back this up, but typically last longer, it feels like, you know what I mean? Like once you mm -hmm. break through in R&B and get that fan base, like the ones you, like, you know, people like a, a Mary J. Blige or a Joe or somebody like, they'll tour yeah. for like 20, 30 years and it, you don't you don't see many rappers that can do that. You know what I'm saying? You might right, have a Jay-Z right. or a Snoop here or there, but it's not, right. you can't name as many that can stand the test of right. time. You know, R&B music's a little, so, so again, it's almost like that thing I was talking about, the long money versus the quick money. You know, it's like, yeah. so it is tough, but last year you saw SZA, you saw her, you saw, mm -hmm. um, we, we have a group that we work with named Division um, from Canada. They're on OVO slash Warner Brothers. They're amazing. So, you you know, that you know you see what Jacquees has done. And I know a lot of people, yeah. you know, got into kind of the viral debate about King of R&B and all that stuff, whatever. But yeah. you can't deny he's been able to, you know, produce hit records and sing cover records that people want to hear, right. you know, and he's been consistent, right. you know, he's been successful. So, yeah. um, you know, again, you know... <laughs> And so it's 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 a, it's an interesting space for R&B but I feel like there's still always a space for R&B. Yeah, yeah. It might yeah, not be the the quantity like you said of some of the hip hop artists. It, it's also, you know, producing R&B is also a little more difficult than producing hip hop. Now there you can produce some hip hop that is very difficult like the stuff that Organized Noise did with Outkast and every like I'm not saying that hip hop can't be very intricate the stuff that Dr. Dre has done, you know, but there's also Fruity Loops type of hip hop that people were producing on, you know, beat machines and stuff that maybe didn't yeah. have the same type of intricacies that quality R&B record has putting into it with the with the singer and the songwriter and and um, mm -hmm. the levels that you go through, you know, with the music. But I love R&B music. Oh yeah. I hope that it same, continues same. to thrive, you know, on some level. I mean, because that's you can't always just listen to hip hop and pop. You know, sometimes you you just are in a mood where only R&B can speak. And like I, I said, you know, it's timeless type of record. So from a um, commerce perspective, maybe R&B doesn't make the same gaudy numbers as hip hop and pop music in the, in this current streaming climate. Because also I think that the consumers for R&B maybe aren't in the streaming base is is heavily maybe, you know. Um, so, I, you know, again, it's just about, in, in my opinion, this is the key. You know, you just got to, as an artist, as a producer, as a writer, you kind of have to just find out who your audience is and where they are and go to them. You know what I mean? So not everybody right. is going to be able to make mass music that, that streams a billion times and makes millions of, uh, of dollars. Sometimes, you know, your, your fan base isn't that. But if you do find a, a significant enough fan base that rocks with you, you can tour. 10 months a year and make good money and, right. and do other things without having mainstream right. radio play or television look. And mm -hmm. stuff like that's that. right. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of interesting things that you, that you mentioned. And one of them is the, I guess you can almost say, cause I, when you were talking about like, I guess these different, these different kinds of R and B now, especially when you talk about the Janae Aiko and her and 
Chris Brown and how they kind of mix it up a little bit. I think it, it almost mirrors hip hop. Yeah. As far as, you know, how hip hop has transformed and there's all these, I, I like to call little offshoots to hip hop. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not fond of all of them, but <laughs> at the same time, <laughs> it's like they're, it's hot. Yeah. It's what people are doing. And then you have those artists who, who, who are, when it, I say with hip hop, you know, like I would say J. Cole and, you know, Kendrick Lamar are probably the closest to, say, original, um, for lack of a better term. In terms of, but with R&B, yes. And I think that's very cool and definitely adds, I guess, a different flavor. Because yeah. I am a fan of Janae Aiko and her, and my girl loves her, man. <laughs> and, her my wife um, loves her. She's walking around singing it all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and then um, you even look at like Ella May and like what she was able to do last yep. year. You know what I'm saying? She had yep. an incredible year. And, and you, yep. know, the, you know, you made an interesting point too, though, about how the transition of R&B almost mirrors that of hip hop. But when you really think about it on a deeper level, it almost mirrors the transformation of society, right? So, you know, mm. at one time you might've had people that, okay, I listen to urban music, so I only listen to these type of radio stations. Or I listen to pop music, yeah. I only listen to these type of radio stations. Or, you know, I listen to backpack hip-hop, so I only listen to these type of artists. Da, da, da. But with right. the invention of the iPod and then on going forward into, like, these streaming platforms that we use now, it is it's not very uncommon for people to have a playlist that jumps all around to all different types of genres. And you do have this mashing of different sounds and vibes and cultures and i think that that plays out in the music too you know where you see the artists are listening to different types of music and and and, and opening themselves up to different types of culture and um you know like my dad said something interesting to me one time he grew up in, in an impoverished neighborhood in the south during the jim crow era and he was like you know in his neighborhood until they got a tv set he didn't know he was poor like they were poor, but because they never saw what rich looked like, they just thought this is just what life is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like kind of like that now when you think about technology and now with Instagram and with YouTube and everything, you can see the whole world in the palm right. of your hands. So now you're exposed right. to different things that 20, yeah. 30 years ago, you'd have to get on a plane to see, you know what I'm saying? Or right. have, you know, <laughs> so, you know, it changes. So we, we all are becoming more hybrid uh, mashes of different things that maybe once before it was more these different things were in a box, you know? And it's like, we say that now because part of my job is is pushing the music to the radio stations and some of the radio stations, the formats, you know, whether it's urban or rhythmic or pop, they kind of still live in these uh, segregated boxes of like, this is what urban's supposed to sound like. This is what rhythmic's supposed to sound like. Really? This is what pop's supposed to yeah, on on a on a on a on a broad level, some of them do are holding on to these old okay. old titles and formats, but they've had to kind of bend that because the listeners have have been bending and and reaching over and picking records from different genres and bringing and clashing and you know now you do have yeah. Ariana Grande and T and Two Chains doing records together. You know what I'm saying? Like right. so, the pop station can't totally ignore it because Ariana Grande is, is their lane. You know, but. The right. urban stations can't ignore it because Two Chains is their core artist. So you know you kind of see this mashing and and this hybrid of um, of culture and and music and entertainment. And you know to me it's dope. You, though. I like it. You know it's, you are saying a lot of things that it's almost like what you're saying is like a combination of what we discussed in previous episodes with my other <laughs> guests and just a That's few cool. 
in in a recent episode as well, we were talking about the state of radio. Uh, okay. So it's interesting you you know you talk about um, you know radio stations. I'm, I'm I'm super excited to get into the interview now. Um, yeah. Gosh, I was going to say something. I can I cannot remember. Uh, oh, this is what I was going to say. You know what you made me think about. You were talking about uh, Ariana Grande doing collabs with T Pain. You know, I, I look at that because what's happening with music now. Years ago, it was like every muse, every genre had its lane. And right. they were very, I guess, distinct as far as their differences. Mm-hmm. Where now it's it's like with all these different crossovers and, you know, artists from this genre work with the artists from the other genre. And it's pretty much like every genre now is using, you know, implementing, or I'm not even going to say it's almost as if they are implementing elements from other genres. And, yeah. you know, so it, does, it just, everything, it, it sounds so different now. Yeah. And it's so funny because I go on Apple Music, right? If you yeah. ever notice, like there's a there's there's rap, yeah. there's hip hop, and then there's like a hip hop hip hop rap genre. I'm like, hold on, how we got three different right, you know, three different genres. Right, 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 right. Yeah, so yeah. it's like no, yeah. there's there's no one, and there's even like hip hop R and B. So it's like there's no, it's like it's hard to even categorize different types of music now because of you know, the blended sounds that yeah. come out of the different types of, you know, different kinds of songs and the different, even the, the artists nowadays, because you have artists who, who don't even stay within one uh, genre. They just like, kind of, like I, I'll probably say a good example, like Taylor Swift, you know, yeah. pop, you know, a little bit of rock. Like you couldn't really, you couldn't really throw her in one of those categories because she kind of, she does it all and you, you hear it in the music. So. Yeah, and I, I think it's dope, man. I, I think it's it great for, for society. It's great for culture. It's great for um, right. for growth, you know, and evolution. Mm-hmm. And you look way back to, like, the 80s, and you had, like, Run DMC do Walk This Way with Aerosmith. And it was like, mm-hmm. whoa, like, what, you know, the rap group and the right. rock group. And then, you know, then you fast forward yeah. and you have, like, you know, Jay-Z and Linkin Park and the Collision Course right. album. And they, you know what I'm saying? And so you see yeah. it slowly evolving over time. And now it's just like you have all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds doing stuff together. And I, th- I think that it's not healthy to try to limit people to a box because you're cutting off potential creativity right. and greatness. You know what I mean? Like, right. what if we what yeah. if somebody told Michael Jackson he had to do just straight down the middle R&B or straight down the middle pop music? You know what I mean? Or, you know, right. I know he's a controversial figure lately, but I'm still a you know, fan of all of his music going up. You know, likewise. But you know, again, I, I I'm all I'm all for breaking the mold, man. I think that it just makes us all better. It does. It does. I definitely agree with you on that one. So I want to go ahead and get to asking you some questions. I'm pretty sure the, the listeners by now are going to be really excited to hear a little bit more about you and your experience, your background, and everything. My first question, it, and this is if you've discovered any artists, I guess, who, and if not, I just want to know who are some of your favorite, I guess, but of the artists that if you have discovered, who who are some of your favorites? Mm, I wouldn't say that I was like the first to discover anybody. I don't work in um, mm-hmm. the A&R department and typically they're the ones that discover artists. I have been on the ground floor of working with a few artists. You know, I remember an artist that we started working with and he had a song that was that was banging in a club on the south side of Atlanta called Central Station, a real hood club. And this is in the like around, I don't know, 2009, maybe it's 2008, 2009. 
it, you know, it had a presence. And I remember we started working it and sending it out and, and getting involved with it. And it ended up taking off and it became a big record. And, you know, it's called, Oh, let's do it. And then next thing you know, Puffy and Rick Ross are dropping on the remix. And then he follows it up with a song called No Hands. And I remember, yeah. you know, being in, I remember being in the car with my cousin. She's 14 years old at the time. And the label had not put No Hands out yet. We were working um, a record called Hard in the Paint at the time. And yeah. she's scrolling through my iPod and she finds No Hands. And she's like, oh, this is my favorite Roscoe Dash song. And she puts it on. And I'm like, yeah. that's not Roscoe's song. That's Waka's song. And she's like, no, I found it on LimeWire. It's Roscoe's song. I'm like, how is it on LimeWire? We haven't put that out yet. So, you know what I'm saying? I hit my boss and I'm yeah. like, yo, my cousin's going crazy for the song. I think the song is a hit too. But, you know, my cousin, she's in the demo. She's like 14 years old. And she's like, all her and all her friends love this song. And um, yeah. three million album sales later, you know, No Hands is the biggest song of Waka Flocka's career. And it was a big yeah. record for also resurrecting Wale's career, who is somebody that yeah. ended up coming to Warner yeah. Brothers. And I worked with him on the Ambition album. And, and yeah. you know, just to kind of evolve the story a little bit, like I remember when Wale moved to Atlanta to work for the, on the Ambition album for a while. And I remember taking him around in my uh, Nissan Altima, looking for apartments and stuff for him to stay in temporary while he's out here and then going to the studio with him. Mm -hmm. And every day at the studio, he had a picture of a Grammy uh, on the like the mixing board, and he was what? like, "Yo, this is what we're this is what we're aspiring for, like Grammy music." And uh, a year or so later, or months later, however long it was, I can't remember off the top of the head, a song off that album, "Lotus Flower Bomb," got nominated for a Grammy. And so that moment was like, "Wow!" I remember him working on a project yeah. saying he was trying to make this type of music, and he did it. Yeah. You know, what I'm saying like yeah. it didn't win the Grammy, but it did get nominated, and that was big coming from right, where he was right. coming from after leaving Interscope and then having to start over at Warner Brothers, you know, and um, mm -hmm. that was a big moment. There was a, another um, time that somebody I worked with hit me up and like, yo, this song is is uh, buzzing on the West Coast. All the kids are doing this dance. You know, it's this big thing and it's called You're a Jerk. And I was like, you're a jerk? What? And then next thing you know, the, the new boys, and I, I mean, and they, these kids recorded this song in, in, in an apartment, you know, with uh, yeah. like a booth made out of a mattress. And this is the same version that we ended up putting on radio stations all across this what? country. They yeah. raced up the charts and mm -hmm. to see that jerk movement and all these kids and like, you know, this is something that was just in the in L.A. And then, you yeah. know, months later to go places like Jackson, Mississippi and and Atlanta, Georgia, yeah. and see kids showing up in skinny jeans doing the dance mm -hmm. in their vans. And it was like, wow, man, like, this is amazing. And um, I'm going to tell you one more. I'm sorry. I don't mean to go on and on. But there, no, no, there no, was you're this, good. There was this time we, uh, you know, I flew down to Houston because we had this new artist uh -huh. out of Houston that was doing a, a car and bike show out there for the radio station. So I flew down to cover the show. And um, they're like, yeah, kid has a big song in Houston. I had never heard of him before, you know, he signed to the label. And I actually met him that night before the car show. We all went out, hung out. He was cool, you know, nice guy, whatever, young guy. And then we go to the car show and he goes on stage and like thousands of kids just go crazy, right? And mm -hmm. after he comes off stage, they rush him. We took him over to his little booth to sign autographs. They're rushing the booth. He's <laughs> signing people's chest, like, you know, girls' chest yeah. and their arms and their shirts. And I'm like, yo, wow. like, what? You know, and then so I yeah. come back to Atlanta like, man, you know, this song isn't, isn't really popping anywhere outside of Houston. But I'm going to, this is a song that could work in Atlanta. I'm going to break it in Atlanta. 
And the artist's name was Kirk Bangs, and the song was called What Your Name Is. And it became a massive <laughs> record in Atlanta. And it set us Kirk up for Bangs. the follow-up record called Drink yeah. In My Cup, which went platinum and, you know, hey, eight, eight weeks joint. in a row, number one. <laughs> yeah, it was a month, right? And so I remember <laughs> riding around in, like, SUVs, taking Kirko station mm-hmm. to station, strip club to strip club, promoting the record when nobody had ever heard of Kirko outside of Houston, you know? And he yeah. ended up becoming such a close friend. Like, you know, the label, people at the label used to joke like, Yo, Kirk always related to you, ain't it? You, you ride too hard for that kid. Like, is that your cousin? That, so <laughs> from then on, it was like cousin Kirko. Like, that's like the little cousin. So, like, to see that go from, you know, a movement just in a city and then to yeah. see it explode to a national hit record that sells millions of albums, right. you know, I mean, millions of singles. That's it dope. was, uh, it was, yeah, so stuff like that, you know, a couple of those moments have been big. And um, one last one, I'll tell you, I know I said that's the last one, but one more is. No, no, no. When I was uh, when I was an intern, when I was still in college, I went to Morehouse here. In, yeah, I live in Atlanta, and you know Morehouse hey, is in Atlanta. So at the time, oh, did he? Uh, Morehouse yeah. man, salute, salute. Um, <laughs> so yeah, when I was in college, I was interning for a company called BME Recordings, and it was owned by um, mm-hmm. Lil John, uh, the producer and, and rapper. You know, he had this whole crunk music, which I didn't really understand. I grew up in Northern Virginia, and I was kind of influenced by Northern hip hop, like New York hip hop. I was. Jay-Z, Nas, Mob Deep, all that stuff. The only real Southern hip-hop I was listening to when I moved to Atlanta was Outkast and Goody Mob. And so this was all new to me. It was like culture shock. They introduced me to Lil Scrappy and Trailville, and they're like, yo, these are the next guys. And I was like, okay, you know, it seemed like cool guys, but, you know, I didn't totally understand the music. But then they took me to a high school party, and I saw 1,500 kids hitting their hand with their fists and saying, we some head buses, we some head buses. And to see how big that crunk era became, you know, off of that, like just remembering, you know, them when nobody knew it outside of like the high school kids in Atlanta and then seeing it go national. That was pretty dope too. So there's just a few from my career that that stood out. (laughs) You know, you, you actually answered my other question. You gave me quite a few memorable moments. Um, from your career. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, sorry about that, man. Yeah. No, it's all good. It's all good. I think that's one of the most enjoyable things about being in this business and being around, you know, some of the people I've had the pleasure of being around and talking to like yourself, like just hearing some of those stories, like just always just fun hearing those stories. Yeah. Wow. At the end of the day, it's, it's always amazing, cool, man. man. Always cool. Like, man, um, when you see a kid go from like, just from having nothing and then <clears throat> you see him hear yeah. a song on the radio for the first time. And then you see mm-hmm. him like a year later and he's touring all around the country, making money, platinum mm-hmm. record. It's like that for me, that's what keeps me coming back because that's rewarding. That's great. That's great. So you probably may have may have said this already. I guess what do you what do you enjoy most about what you do? I would say I would say that like just like the, the moment of seeing somebody with a with a incredible idea and not really knowing how to get it out and being able to be part of the conduit of connecting this great musical piece to people that and get, need to hear it and getting exposed and seeing the reaction. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I've been on stage with an artist and just seeing the reaction from the crowd, it, it makes the hairs on, on the back of my neck stand up. You know what I'm saying? It gives me chills sometimes. Yeah. It's almost like if you've been to a big sporting event And when everybody's cheering in unison and you feel that raw human energy that you can't recreate, like seeing that or feeling that at a show or at a club when um, what if an artist that I've seen work so hard from when nobody knew who they were and then see them have that moment. It's almost like seeing my daughter 
do something special at school. You know, it's just a special moment being a part of that. So that's probably my favorite part is just helping people execute and live out their dreams, being a part of that and the relationship. Okay, that's what's up. That's truly, uh, that's dope, man. I can hear and if you know just because I I feel I feel the energy when you when you yeah. speak about you know the things that you've done in this business you know just again recall, recalling some of those uh, those memorable moments and just hearing me tell me what you uh, enjoy most about what you do I, again I can I can feel it thank you again it makes me happy and I'm uh, the listeners are going to be able to hear that as well because I'm. You know, I, I I already know when I go back and listen to this and edit it, I'm gonna be getting those same vibes. <laughs> no, that's that's, that's really that's really great. I tell you now, you're a dope dude. So coming from a dope Thank guy you, like brother. yourself, I appreciate like that. that's likewise. That's that's, likewise. that's really cool. And that that's pretty much all my questions, man. And you know, definitely I enjoy conversation and uh, definitely appreciate you coming on the same show. You know, sharing um, some of your experience and you know your knowledge of the industry and you know just giving. Uh, myself and the listeners a lot of uh, great insight I, I i know definitely one thing we don't want to stay away from you know those questions about you know how artists can you know get on and stuff like because i know you, i'm pretty sure you get a, a lot of those all the time and i, I wanted to do something different just to kind of yeah. you know, focus on you and you know your your time in the business and you know kind of pick your brain a, a bit just to learn you know just to learn about that stuff and you know again now it was a lot of dope stuff and a lot of great takeaways and even for myself so again i thank you know you. thank you for you know coming on the same show i guess do you do you have anything uh especially you know doing what you do <laughs> anything you want anybody to be looking out for anything like that you uh, kind of shout outs or whatnot yeah i mean um you know we have a few uh new product projects we're pushing a few artists to check out for definitely you know i'm i'm working with wale again and he has a song out called Pole Dancer with Megan Thee Stallion. So definitely, you know, keep an eye out for that. Saweetie uh, from the West Coast, she just dropped a new EP called Icy on um, Friday. And we have a single with Quavo called Emotional that uh, we're pushing. So, you know, want people to look for that. Okay. We have an artist, a new artist we just signed from Baltimore named Shorty Shorty. Okay. He has a, he has a song called uh, Betua is the radio edit. And it's a, it's a dope record. It has a dope vibe and people are really reacting to it. So, you know, keep an eye out for that. And, Couple others, Lil Zay Osama out of Chicago, Robin Hood Trey out of Atlanta. Okay. The whole TIG camp we're working with, Wife and Lucci, uh, Q Money, and um, oh, Pasa. Yeah. So you know we're we're really in a growth space in the in the urban hip hop space right now, which is really dope for me because Warner Brothers mm -hmm. historically is more of a rock label. Um, Warner Brothers is you know Metallica, Green Day, Linkin Park. You know, Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, it's had its waves of hip hop. Like I said, when I first started, you know, we had Mike Jones. He had just gone double platinum. Uh, the first mm -hmm. record I worked at, at Warner Brothers was the E-40, my ghetto report card album that went gold. And then um, and then we had a little lull. Uh, you know, we had the Trillville and Scrappy stuff at Warner as well. You know, I, I left the independent label, went to the major label and, and they had that. You know, we had the, the deal, the partnership oh, with B, yeah, with BME recording. So we still, you know, I was able to work that stuff at Warner. And then move, moving forward, you know, the kind of second wave of, of hip hop was a lot of the stuff that we did with uh, like Waka and 1017 Brick Squad, Gucci Mane, and, um, and then also the MMG stuff like Meek's first project and Wale's pro first project with Maybach Music. We had both of those albums. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's seen its waves and, you know, Kirko Bangs and, and we were working with Trillian T and Lil Boosie and Webby during that era. Mm -hmm. And then all that stuff kind of went over to Atlantic a few years later. 
and we went through another lull. Then we came back with the uh, with the partnership with OVO, and that's where we put out Party Next Door and Division, and you know okay. we worked with uh, I Love McConan with the Going Up on a Tuesday record and stuff like that. So it's kind of had these different waves, but now we have another yeah. wave coming. It's really dope, man. We're signing a lot of really great music and a lot of great artists that are very passionate mm-hmm. and talented. So. I'm just really excited, man. Um, and the last thing I just want to leave people with is I had a great piece of advice one time. I was on the road with Talib Kweli, uh, and he was uh, doing a radio interview, and the host asked him, does it bother him that he's not more successful than he is? And, you know, they quoted the whole Jay-Z line where, you know, he's like, truth be told, you know, skills sold, truth be told, I'd probably lyrically be Talib Kweli or whatever, you know, so Jay-Z kind of gave him a shout out, like, yo, his lyrics are dope, but you know, saying that that type of stuff doesn't really yeah. get the, the money, right? Um, and Talib right. was like, well, look, he's like, success is in the eye of the beholder. Success is what you make it. Right. So, you know, I love to rap. It's a passion of mine. This is what I love to do. I love to make music this way and not have to compromise my music to force it to sell. I tour 300 days a year making good money. Mm-hmm. I get to see every country and continent on the globe. Mm-hmm. So I, to me, that's success. It's all the aspiring artists out there and and producers and, and writers and, you know, like creatives out there, like don't feel like just because you're not on the Billboard Hot 100 that you can't be successful and sustain substantial living and, and a comfortable lifestyle doing what you love to do in your passion, you know? So that, that's, right. that's the last thing I want to leave people with. And check me out. I'm on Instagram and uh, Twitter and all that at Wilt Wallace, W-I-L-T-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. Okay, I'll, I'll be definitely... Uh, I'll make sure to definitely follow you on IG. So you guys heard them and definitely take notes as you, um, if you haven't done so, you may want to go back and take some notes from this interview. Appreciate you again coming on. And you guys make sure to go follow him again, Wilt Wallace on Instagram. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to follow the Sane Show on Instagram and Twitter at Sane underscore show, S-A-N-E underscore show on Instagram and Twitter, The Sane Show on Facebook. Remember, we got The Sane Show live recording coming up at Coco and the director in the heart of Uptown Charlotte. Tickets are free and they are available on Eventbrite, so you have no excuse not to be there. (laughs) So make sure to mark your calendars. Look forward to seeing you all there. And again, thank you guys for listening. Um, Everybody from the U.S. to Canada to the U.K., Belgium, Australia, Germany, Panama, and everywhere else in the world that I uh, may not be showing up on my listener map. But thank you guys for listening. Continue to like, share, and subscribe. And that is The Sane Show, episode 27, featuring Wilt Wallace, Vice President of Urban and Rhythm Promotions at Warner Bros. Records. And we're out.